Anyone? Is the audio good? If just raise your hand if if it is good, just to have some feedback. All right, great. I have had some great feedback. That is just encouraging to know that um, even if you're not here, I know that we are busy working on getting internet at the church, and then we're going to put up a little camera part over there. We have someone that's going to do that so that we can also in the future um, be able to watch our services on YouTube. So that. If you want to also watch it on YouTube, that is in the pipeline. Um, so just pray for us as we get things ready. We might be a small church, but we want to do things well so that we'll be able to watch the services online. That is in the works. Amen. All right, and amen. We this morning just want to go to the book of Nehemiah or Nehemiah. I don't know how you pronounce it, you know. Um, it's so funny if you're used to one way and someone says it another way, like they're saying it wrong, it's just not right. So I'm going to say uh, Nehemiah. If that is not the way you say this person's name or this book, I'm so sorry. Um, you will just have to bear with me. And so let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Today, I, we just had a great day. I'm just thinking back on yesterday. Yesterday we had a history makers course. And I do encourage you next time, this was the first part that we're doing. Uh, we went through half of the manual yesterday. It was quite intense. Let me tell you, I think it was an information overload for those that were listening and here. But it's very good. And we will have a second part where we go through the next part of the book. Eight core values that we were going through. And we went through three yesterday. Next time we go through five. And um, I don't know about... Uh, they can speak for themselves if we're here yesterday, but it's really an amazing resource that is for all of us, for everyone. Um, it says leaders, history makers, but in, in some ways we are all leaders, we are all people of influence. And this is what we would like to just go through today. We are all called to live a life of influence. You know, often the leadership is seen as influence. And so if you say, ask who are the people of influence, we all influence somebody. We all influence our families, we all influence people we work with, we all influence that random stranger at the checkers line. We're all influencing somebody somewhere and we cannot escape the responsibility or the reality of influence. And so this is just to, how can we plan and prepare to influence effectively and efficiently? And this is what it's all about. I encourage you to go on to the website of the ministry that's prepared this. This is called the International Leadership Institute. And there you can actually download the manual if you'd like. There's some PowerPoints, there's some videos there to help you with this material. We have all been called to influence others. So when we go to the book of Nehemiah today, let's go to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go to the first chapter of Nehemiah. We're going to start reading from the first chapter of Nehemiah. I just somehow had a bad feeling this was not working. Okay, it is working. Before I get into trouble. Alright, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. Uh, if you have seen Mr. Bean, uh, Johnny English, that would just cause you to laugh. Um, if you remember the final, I'm just thinking of Shushan. 
So that Hanani of my brethren came with them, men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I was sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, O Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned because you, against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. And continues the prayer, continues there, as he is praying and asking God to redeem his people and restore the nation of Israel. And as we continue the book, we see that um, in chapter 2, that he was a cupbearer to the king, um, to the king of uh, Persia, and he was the cupbearer. And as just for a moment, just what do you think when you hear the word cupbearer? Right? It would actually be an important job, actually. A cupbearer is someone that uh, makes sure that no poison gets to the king. So it is an important job, but then again, I don't know if it was by choice because all of the Jews were taken captive. They were all captives before, you know, they were taken by the Babylonians into captivity. And this is where they were in captivity. The Jerusalem was destroyed. There were some people left there and there was starting to be a bit of a restoration taking place. If you look at the background, we see that um, uh, Zerubbabel had already returned with some of the first group of people and he was starting to bring a bit about of the kingdom of Jerusalem, restoring it. We see Ezra had gone the priest and was starting to bring a bit of revival, trying to bring people back to God. But So they had started to build the temple, but we see that the walls were destroyed, meaning they were vulnerable, meaning that they were open to attack. Just imagine yourself, you're in the middle of city center, maybe you're in the middle of um, Johannesburg city center, and there is no fence, and you can't lock your doors. Sheesh, you know? I don't know if that's really nice. I don't know if you sleep. And so this was um, Jerusalem at the time. There was no walls, there was no safety, there was nothing, and the people didn't like the Jews, even then. They didn't like them. So he wept and he realized that these people were vulnerable. His people were a laughing stock to the people around them. People were just open. They could just come and take what they wanted at any time. They were, they were at a difficult spot. And so today, when we talk about this, we realize that the Lord has made us aware that there's so much need all around us. There's so much desperation. There's so much um, that needs to be done in big ways and in small ways. If you look in your own family, if you look in your own neighborhood, you don't even have to go far. You don't even have to go to the Middle East or any other place. 
in your own backyard there is so much need now i say this um, not expecting us to meet every need and to go out and save every person but let's go on with what the father bible says here and so we see that as he's going he's now and now it came to pass in the month of nisan in the 20th year of king after xerxes when wine was before him um, that i took the wine and gave it to the king now i had never been sad in his presence before I, I found this very interesting. So he must have been quite a happy person. He must have been full of joy, serving as a slave actually in some ways, serving the king and having this important job. But the king knew him to be someone who is full of joy and happy. This must have been something because the king had a lot of stuff going on, but he noticed when Nehemiah was sad. Wow, it must have been not sad often, or this must be dramatic sadness. I don't know, it must have been looking really sad. I'm not sure. But somehow it caught the eye of the king. Um, the, therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? <laughs> this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Like, oh no. I mean, this is some serious stuff. If you say something wrong with the king in those days, he could just um, send you to the gallows. You could get into trouble. And so, um, and said to the king, May the king live forever. This is just a way of respect that they were saying, greeting. Why should my face not be sad in the city, the place of my father's tombs? Lies waste, and his gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? Wow, I think he was not expecting this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know those prayers that you say, those quick ones just before a test, or those ones when you're about to go through a difficult space, those very quick ones in your heart. So, I mean, this is what he said. So, I, I, I said a prayer to the God of heaven just before he answers the king. Um, then the king said to me, uh, so he said to the king, verse 5, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. This was a heavy request. He was a slave. The king relied on him for safety so that no one could poison him. It would mean that there was no one else that could do this job. And so he was asking a heavy thing, basically. The king would easily have said, your, your life is ending now because how dare you presume that you could leave. But then the king said, um, and I, uh, then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, now how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him at heart. It's comforting for Nehemiah to know that he can also come back and to know that there is a return. So we will continue to talk about Nehemiah but do notice this. There is a need that arose because of Jerusalem being the state that it was and so a vision is born. Yesterday we were talking about vision something you see a need that you see and sometimes in life we, we struggle to know what is the purpose of my life and what is the calling that god has placed on my life because all of us have been called to something we have not all been called to pastors we have not all been called to do some dramatic ministry position but we have all been called and we're not all from a background that is illustrious or big we're not all Grand. Just imagine this is a cup bearer. And I don't know how you put that in your CV, but 
This is the cupbearer to the king. And you might say, you know, I don't have a fancy title, but you might be a cupbearer. You might not be someone glorious or seen, or you not, might not be skilled in the thing that you're going to be doing. I mean, this is a cupbearer that wants to go and build a wall. <laughs> he was not qualified. He didn't have experience. His experience was making sure that no poison gets to the king. His experience was, uh, I must make sure that the wine is the good tasting wine, that the king is happy with the wine. Um, and I trust that he was not an alcoholic, uh, Nehemiah, I'm not sure, but I don't think so. But uh, he was tasting all this wine, so I don't know how that happened. But, um, <laughs> just thinking for a moment, that is actually funny, he's tasting all this wine. But he has experience in wine, he knows all the best wines, and he knows what it looks like when there's not something not right with the wine. But now there is a great need of a wall that needs to be built. And Nehemiah says, no one else is doing it. Lord, this burden is on my life. I need to do this. Up to the point where the king notices something is wrong with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah just spilled the beans and said, Shish, I can't be happy when I know that my people are living in a terrible state. And then, he, then, he, then the king says, so what do you want to do about it? Wow. Just imagine. It's not, it doesn't help saying the world is a terrible place and things are falling apart or just if someone would only do something, the king asked him, so Nehemiah, what do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? And so God asked you, so what do you want to do about it? Because God is placing burdens on his people. God is placing a burden on each and every one of us. Something that we start to bond with, something that we start to feel the pain for. When Nehemiah heard this, he started to cry. He started to feel the anguish. He started to see, wow, you know, if only something were to change. And then the king challenged him, so what are you going to do about it? I mean, that's why he must have swallowed, you know, like in the, in the movies, the big swallow, and then a quick prayer to God, like, oh, Lord, help me now, I don't know what to say. And then he answered the king. And so today I want to challenge you to find in your heart to pray. Because we have been called to be emissaries of the King. We have been called to make a difference all around us. Even if we're cupbearers, even if you say, I don't have experience in this, even if you say, I don't have the finances for this, even if you say, I don't know how to do this, there should be someone else closer to that. Or how can I be doing this? God is placing a burden on your life. And so it is that Nehemiah told the king, and the king said, okay, what do you need for this? And wow, the king didn't just send him, the king gave him what he needed, the money, the material, and the people that can actually build to go with him. So the king sent him. So when we have this burden, because you might be wondering, I don't know if I have a purpose in life. I don't know if I have a vision. A vision is something that you see and you a need. So a vision is a place you want to reach, and the mission is how do I get there in short. I'm not going to go into the depth, uh, long teaching yesterday, that was uh, a few hours. But basically, a vision is something God is calling you to do. How do I know what my vision is? It's usually a burden. It's usually something that you 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 you, you are struggling why is it not fixed 
Right? I don't know if potholes is necessarily your vision because I also have a burden about the potholes. But <laughs> uh, just pray about this because we all have been given burdens. We all have something, and it's, it's, it's not something necessarily grand. It might be the bottle, I don't know necessarily, but um, you have to pray and ask Lord, what is it that you are called to do? And look first to the things that you feel the most about, the things that trouble you the most about, the things that um, you feel like, wow, this is something that needs to change. Start there. And if you need help, how to identify it, if you need help, how to implement it in any way, that is why we as a team at the church to help you. If it is um, somehow feeding people or helping the shelters or your own neighborhood. If you say that your own neighborhood is in a bad space, I feel that I want to make a change in my block around me. Or if it's your own family or if it's your farm or whatever it may be, whatever God has called you to do, we are here to help you. The, the Nehemiah had the king to help him. Now, we are no kings, but we know the king of kings, and we can help him in practical ways. So Nehemiah needed someone to help him in a practical way, because he was a cupbearer. He didn't have money to build walls. He didn't have the experience to build walls. And so, in a practical way, God sent people on his way to help him to get there. And so, God sends people to confirm what he's speaking so then Nehemiah went and he left and he got to uh, Jerusalem and he found that in Jerusalem it was a sorry state. The people were in a bad state spiritually, physically. And it's interesting, I was just going through the book of Nehemiah yesterday again, just seeing the challenges that Nehemiah was facing. The challenges that he was facing as he was trying to reach this vision. A vision of a restored Jerusalem. I mean, his vision was not necessarily the building of the walls. The building of the walls was a means to an end. He wanted to see Jerusalem restored. His vision was a restored Jerusalem. And so we see he did not just build walls. He helped um, poor people to, be, to come out of a difficult spot. He stopped injustice by having the rich um, Jews stop exploiting the poor Jews, he stopped the attacks of the enemy, he armed and equipped, and he helped the Jews to be able to be in a better state. All of this, his vision, to see a restored Jerusalem. And so sometimes, when you think that your vision is this thing, but as you go along, as you get closer to the mountain, the place that you want to see, you see, actually, my bigger vision is this. God takes us on steps. God takes us on steps to get us to the place where He has called us. It requires me to be available. It requires me to be willing and full of passion. He had the passion for Jerusalem and He was available. And so, sometimes time, our schedules, is the enemy of our calling. Sometimes our schedules is the enemy of God's burden in our lives. This doesn't mean that we should quit our jobs and leave our families and suddenly now put on a monk's clothing and hit the road. That does not what, what it means. But what it means is that I have to prioritize to hear from the Lord. Sometimes it means shifting some things. Sometimes it means letting go of something. Sometimes it means walking away from something. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it means walking away from a good thing to go to the best thing that God has called you to be. And sometimes other people might not understand it, but if God has called a burden and a vision 
on my life. I know I must pursue it. I know I must chase after it. I know that this is the thing that I will give account when I stand before the Lord at the end of time. Just imagine Nehemiah. His friend must have said, Why are you going to do it? Who are you? There's someone else that can go and do it. But Nehemiah knew that if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. God is calling you and me to something specific. Not just to help all people pray for the peace of the universe, but someone specific, some group specific, something specific. God is calling you and me to reach into and make a difference. You might say, I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm not good enough, or experienced enough. And I mean, there's so many things. Just imagine um, when God called um, Jeremiah. He was very young. He was super young. Just imagine when you look at Moses. He was old. He was already 80 years old. Uh, 80 years is when he started with his ministry. <laughs> I, I let that sink in. That's when he started. That's when Moses started for the next 40 years. Granted, somehow he had very good health. But uh, for the next 40 years, Moses started. So you're never too young, too old inexperienced, ill-equipped, not good enough, not close enough. All these things are not barriers that can keep us if we allow them, if we can overcome them. And so when we surrender to the Lord, when He choose and say, Lord, here I am, I'm available. I can't, I don't know how to talk or I don't know how to do this. I'm a cupbearer. I don't know how to build walls. I, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a single mom. I don't know how to do this. I'm just a working stay-at-home mom. I, I'm just this. I'm just this. I don't know how to do that. I wish I knew. But we see Moses getting equipped. We see God helping Nehemiah, the cupbearer, to build a wall in record time. Because God was with him. And so today, God, when He's with you, no matter the obstacles, no matter the challenges, no matter the enemy, no matter the disadvantages, no matter what you don't have, no matter what you don't know, when God is with you, you're able to do it. But in the end, if it's God's vision, it's God's provision. God will take you where you could never go by yourself. And the best thing is, He went from being a cupbearer to a governor. He suddenly was the governor over Jerusalem. Suddenly he was calling the shots. And so when I surrender to the will of God, he'll take me places I never could imagine to be over things I could never dream of doing. He stretched Nehemiah from being the guy the back that quickly runs and makes sure that the king's cup is full. Just imagine. He just made, had to make sure that the wine is full and he just had to make sure that the wine is nice. And, but now he was the guy that was saying, okay, you guys, you build that section of the wall and you make sure that you have the swords ready and you have to do these things. And he was settling disputes between people and he was commanding rich people to let go of poor people. He had the authority and the power. The cupbearer. The guy that is just at the back and standing like these butters in the movie and he has always to be there. And as soon as the cup is empty, he runs and quickly pours some more wine. <laughs> that guy became the guy that restored the glory of Jerusalem and sorted out all the problems that built the walls in 42 days never been seen before he innovated, pioneered new ways of doing stuff that guy so if that guy can do it I can do that as well I can do something new I can overcome challenges and we see that there were many challenges that faced Nehemiah 
the other people didn't want this to happen the Jews didn't want this to happen and so he had to convince the people to get on board and sometimes we face the challenge that the people don't believe in us even the people that we're trying to help they don't believe in me even the people that we're trying to change even the family members that we're reaching out to even those people that we're bringing help to they might not even believe it they might not even want it even though they need it we need to persevere Nehemiah just kept at it he just was standing strong we see him standing strong in the Lord and overcoming we see here there's uh, two people that have been made famous by the story that is um, a man if you go to the book of Nehemiah you'll see this um, two gentlemen named Sanballat and Tobias I don't know if you've heard of these names before but they have like they're, they're in that short list or that long list of bad people of the Bible Judas uh, the devil Sanballat Tobias Pharaoh <laughs> this list of bad people and so they are in there but interesting enough this is the first time I realized that they were actually living in Jerusalem why do I say this because sometimes Nehemiah in the beginning had to go at night to walk around to check out the wall don't do that when the enemy is very far away you don't do that when the enemy is somewhere in another valley you do that when the enemy is in the camp and so Tobias and Sanballat were these foreigners uh, let's not say foreigners because that's a touchy subject in South Africa they were these bad guys that were living there and trying to enslave the people of Israel and sometimes when God calls us often when God calls us or many times when God calls us amongst the people that we are working with there is those people that just don't work along with us at your workplace your farm or your business there are those people that just don't get on board those people that just aren't on your side they seem to be getting they seem to be doing everything to derail you those people in your life that somehow everyone fears and you just can't do anything against them and they're there in the midst of the problem and so it, um, it seems that they were powerful because later on it says that a lot of the powerful Jews were actually in debt to Sanballat they actually owed money to Sanballat so all along they must have been telling Nehemiah don't, don't be so hard on Sanballat you know he has a point you know you should listen to him and they were like they were somehow carrying messages and they were spying on what's happening the enemy in the camp and so at your workplace or in your life or in your family sometimes it feels like there's a family member that's always conspiring to destroy the family in your own marriage it seems to be someone that's always trying to destroy it well, I don't know where but these people were very close and they were powerful people that had a sway over the Jews and they were trying to destroy it they were writing letters they were spreading rumors and they were trying to turn people against them and they were trying to destroy everything that Nehemiah was doing so much so that later on Nehemiah had to tell the people okay uh, with one hand you're building the other one you're a sword ready to fight but in 42 days the walls were built they didn't give up they pushed on the Lord was his defender at one stage even they were trying to trick uh, Nehemiah to look bad you know it's a funny story if you read read the book of Nehemiah it's quite interesting and so that Sadbala sent a letter sneakily saying the prophet said that the enemy is going to kill you and you must go and hide in the temple 
And in your mind, you're like, this is the wrong message. This is, he wants to make me look bad and scared. There's no enemy coming. And he said, I'm not going to listen to this. And he kept on building. He was leading by example. And so in your vision, don't just send other people to accomplish your vision. Don't just send other people where you are not willing to go. But lead by example. Be the one at the forefront. Because God has called you to this vision. Be the one that's on the wall. Be the one that's holding the bricks. Be the one that is building this wall. Be the one that is getting stuck into those people. Get in, be the one that is reaching into the helpless and the homeless. Be the one that is going into the community. Be the one that is walking the streets. Be that one. Because God has called you to be that one. And when you do it, we see that as Nehemiah was doing this, the people rallied around him. The people unified around him. And they built the wall. When you do this, don't do this alone. Delegate. Send people to stand with you. Send, empower people to stand with you. Just yesterday we were talking a bit about this. And sometimes when we have a vision, we don't have to be the only one doing the vision. And so often when we do things in business or in life or in family, we feel that, all right, if, I, if someone else is going to do it, they're not going to do it fast enough, or they're not going to do it as nice, or they're not going to do it as good. And I remember this myself. I remember packing out the chairs in one of the churches and cleaning, sweeping out and everything, running around doing everything because they're not going to pack those chairs exactly the way that I want them to be done. And I had to realize, whoa, that's just a little bit arrogant because actually this is God's vision, not my vision. And maybe my way of doing it is actually not so good because God might just use other people in better ways to accomplish this vision. So I challenge you, don't be alone in this. You are not alone. Nehemiah was not alone. You are not alone. Choose people to stand with you. And you how can I identify these people? These are people that have a burden, the same burden, the same heart. They speak the same language. These are the people that you know that they've got your back. They're not trying to stab you in the back. These are the people that you know you can rely upon. Sometimes we don't have many people like that. Sometimes we feel alone. But sit down, take a pause. And pray. God will illuminate those people. There are always those people in your life. You might say, this week, you know, actually I don't have, don't have people like that. But maybe you're wrong. Maybe they are those people that you can trust. That you can ask to pray for you. Those are the people that are praying for you. Those are the people that will speak the truth. They won't hide the truth. They will say it as it is, but to build you up and not destroy you. Those are the people that you can say, you know, please just help me in this. Don't do this alone. Because if you do it alone, you won't get as far. And it won't be as deep as God has called you to go. Amen. And so he's building on the wall, he's, he's getting ready, he's always vigilant, he's always praying. The Bible says be vigilant and sober, always looking where the enemy is coming and he's looking around and he's checking on the wall. And he accomplishes the task. And so today, as we get ready to finish, what is that wall that God is calling you to build? What is that vision God is bothering you with that thing that you can't sleep because it's bothering you that thing in your life rise up and say Lord here I am I don't have the resources or the skills or the knowledge I just thought there needs to be a change God has called us to change things in our life Amen let's just all stand up we're going to get ready um, on this very cool day 
<laughs> just to pray. And I wish to encourage someone today. If you're facing Sanballat and Tobias in the camp, don't give up. If the enemy is trying to discredit you, if the enemy is frustrating at every turn, and he's not far, he's in the midst of your family, your relationship, your business, your company, your farm, and he's one of those people that you just don't know how to get rid of. Because just imagine, um, it seemed that Nehemiah couldn't just kick out Sanballat and Tobias because a lot of the Jews were in debt to him. He had a house there. He was living there. He probably had a farm there. But God helped him to overcome and build the walls despite Sanballat and Tobias. And so I want to speak of your life that you shall overcome and you shall build the wall and you shall reach the place that God has called you to be despite Sanba, despite Tobias, no matter what they do, no matter how long they've been, no matter how they're twisting the fact, God can rise up and be with you if you allow Him to be. Let us build the walls. Let us build South Africa. Let us reach into the darkness and be the light. Let us go into the cesspool that is society and be the salt and bring healing. God is calling you the cupbearer. You, yes, you the cupbearer. God is calling you and me. Amen. I'm just going to pray for us today. Let's just pray. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Even if we are small, you have called this church to be mighty and to reach into South Africa and Africa. Even though, Lord, we feel outnumbered. Even, Lord, we feel like we just don't know. We've tried so long, but the enemy is in the camp. We just don't know how we're going to build the wall. Lord, he's twisting the facts. Lord, he's, he's accusing me with the wrong things. Lord, he's, he's destroying every step. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I know that you are the defender. Lord, you are Jehovah Nisi, the banner that rises above for the enemy to see. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. You are Jehovah Roy, the shepherd that leads. You are Jehovah, uh, you are the Lord God. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord who fights for us. And so I pray for your children today that you may bless them, that you may encourage them when they feel tired and like giving up. That you might help them identify the vision and the burden and the dream that you've called them to. And that you may keep them in the path so that they may go out and do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We have some refreshments outside. And of course, I'm always here to pray with you. Come forward and we will pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.